Welcome to the Mysterium Podcast. My name is Evan McFarland. I do business development over at Mysterium Network. And this is the first podcast, uh, the first one ever dedicated to DVPNs. So I wanted to take this as an opportunity to explain where the inspiration comes from and uh, what this podcast is going to entail and why it's important in general. Today it's just me. That won't be the case moving forward. But uh, a little about me, I am a crypto native. I've been involved in the space for several years now, written a lot about it, and I'm involved with a few application layer Web3 projects, which is sort of my area. Um, I came across the DVPN about a year ago, and I didn't understand what it was for. Uh, All I saw when reviewing cryptocurrencies, like I always did, was there's a tremendous amount of developer activity that has been consistently going on for years. And I was confused as to why they, you know, there was so much, um, <laughs> so much technical effort being put into something that the larger crypto space wasn't talking about at all. And it, you know, it took me a little while to wrap my head around that, especially since there's more users for DVPNs than any other Web3 project. And yeah, they're, they're not blockchain-focused or token-focused, so that might be part of the explanation. Um, but I didn't know what a DVPN was really for. And some time involved, I'll, I'll give this quick synopsis, which will be what the podcast is about. Um, but DVPNs, decentralized VPNs, they use a lot of the same infrastructure technically that VPNs used, but, um, because they're decentralized, they're a different thing entirely. And I hate when they're explained in the context of traditional VPNs because they're meant to be a, a different thing entirely, and that's something we'll hopefully see in the, in the coming years. So VPNs are a really important part of the Internet, but they use centralized infrastructure, as we know. Um, they have, you know, when you use one, you interact with the company that uses closed-source software and a centralized server to keep your data, and you don't know what they're, they're doing with it. So on the user end, um, a DVPN is pretty much the same as a VPN, but underneath it all, it's different because instead of closed source software you, you know by made by a company and controlled and held by a company it's open source software that is used and held by a community of peers and you connect to random peers uh whatever so it's on a user end that's the difference between a VPN and a DVPN but i prefer to think of it as a separate technology stack i think VPNs are super important for the internet but they're never going to be ubiquitous because they can't be integrated at the application layer. At least that's not what they're designed to do. So if, if VPNs are designed to remove the borders of the Internet, and there's a lot of problems with that, but DVPNs are more of a technology stack that any application developer could put in their application. This could be anything up to the scale of browsers, and uh, users will never have to really download an app and then be one node in a network that removes the Internet's borders. It could happen on a much grander scale. And there's enterprise use cases for this and things that don't translate into the traditional VPN world. All right, so that's a mouthful. But um, from the outside in, I was looking at these DVPN projects, and a lot of them, they operate in a gray area, uh, which makes a lot of their use cases sort of hard to talk about, and the teams aren't exactly public-facing. So I would say this is true for all of them, but Mysterium in particular, uh, the team members you know, on the website, they're, they're sort of anonymous, and not everyone's listed there. And I started work at Mysterium recently, so uh, 
Mysterium's changing very fast. I'm helping explore new use cases and partnerships and writing their new white paper and just trying to keep pace with uh, the rapid change that they're undergoing, as is everyone else on the team. But when I got inside the team, I realized that there's a lot more to the story um, that I'm hoping to bring forth. And to this day, I just think the DVPN space is terrible at explaining what it's for. And I wanted to go help the most open one. And I hope that this podcast <laughs> um, could change some of the responses that they've gotten. So, so far, this technology, you know, it's been built out for quite a few years. And now it's, it's market ready. You know, four years of all these iterations, um, a lot of, you know, competition in the space and Mysterium is entering mainnet and a lot of the technical kinks that are being annoy annoying to users and node runners are being ironed out and it's sort of past all of the technology phase or we're at least exiting that phase and entering the growth and, and expansion phase so people need to understand what this is going to be used for. Now so far the conversations around them have been quite boring and technical and that's what all the teams are composed of and you, you know that's true but now moving out I think the use cases are starting to get more interesting and the podcast I, I don't think it should be tech focused anymore because the apps are ready to go and what needs to be brought out into the larger crypto space is the value that it's bringing um, to the users that most people aren't aware of so DVPN sort of in an opposite position from the rest of the crypto startups um, cryptos usually target first world countries um, you know, wealthy people that are looking often for ways to make money, especially in this cycle. Um, DVPNs are the absolute opposite. So even VPNs, people who use them and pay the most for them are, are ones in first world countries. I'm in the United States. I don't particularly need a VPN, and those who do um, often aren't doing it with the best intentions. But DVPNs target a totally different market, and they're targeting often underdeveloped countries um, one of the biggest, in our case, is Nigeria, whose government crimps down on the access to the Internet. And then there's use case, like China, for example, is a huge area where there's crypto innovation going on. But the borders of the Internet are, are still totally intact and um, under the control of gatekeepers, in, in that case, the Chinese government. And I think they're beginning to scale out. So... What this podcast should be about and bring to the forefront is not only uh, you know team members of the biggest DVPN startups and internet security experts, which is who we want to see, but also the people who have been positively impacted by this that don't exactly have a voice um, because they live in an area where uh, you know the internet is pretty much siloed and the information that comes out of that internet is you know goes through this giant funnel or filter depending on their location so my hope is that this is this is a becomes a platform where users could share their experiences and those who helped contribute to this space um, can share that their backgrounds and like I said it, it operates in a gray area which makes some of the conversations a little bit controversial and outside of the norm of what most people are going to hear but I also think they're the most important um, ideas to bring forward now, on a more personal note, why I'm particularly involved in this, uh, I, you know, being across a lot of Web3 and, and blockchain stuff, people might be taken aback why, you know, why jump to VPNs, which are kind of a different thing. 
Um, and don't don't use blockchain in the same way that most, you know, they're not built on blockchain, although it's a pivotal part. And the answer to that is, I think, in seeing how the Web3 space evolved. And um, right now, like, do a fun experiment if you're in crypto and you kind of keep track of these things. Go on CoinGecko or CoinMarketCap and look at the top 100 coins. And they're all, almost all of them are um, infrastructure layer or or just coins themselves, like these OG coins. Uh, so you know you have you have Bitcoin, but then you have all these Web3 infrastructure platforms, and then the applications that are about to or should be built on top of them are entirely userless and really small at this point, except for some of the big DeFi ones. Uh, you know, like the swaps are the only ones that succeeded. And what I think people don't realize about Web3 is that the infrastructure layers of blockchains even the ethereum blockchain don't don't protect people from the internet's borders because the front ends aren't supported um, by most of these blockchains and the space hasn't evolved to the point where they could have end-to-end -end encryption and um, basically geo-blocking so that's reserved for a very small fraction of blockchains I support one of them uh, definity but the rest of them are having such a hard time scaling out their infrastructure that the front ends that people need to use to actually interact with these immutable blockchains are still capable of being blocked by big governments and big tech. So there's a huge disconnect there. And people people really scoff at this because it hasn't been an issue yet. Um, the blockchain space, even though it's rapidly growing, has remained largely ignored by big tech and big governments because they move slower than the startup world. But now that the fact that all these infrastructures are developed, that's why all the top 100 coins, you know, the majority of them are building blocks. Um, they're not applications. You know, you have Theta and you have Uniswap. Those are applications. But where are all the rest of them? And I think the cream is going to start to rise to the top and we're going to see a lot of these applications. And what I'm desperately worrying, worried about, and it's why I've been in, in Web3, is that the layers upon which the innovation could be crimped down on are still largely under the control of internet gatekeepers. Uh, so China could still block Ethereum dApps if they want. I live in the United States, which is supposed to have one of the more free internets, and I can't interact with the Binance Smart Chain, and it's, you know, it's still illegal for me to s trade certain cryptocurrencies, and I'm blocked from certain exchanges. And you know, we just saw the in the cycle that we're in, one of the major contributing factors was China declaring war on crypto mining, and if they wanted, it could be the flip of a switch. Um, where the whole space radically changes. And there's these existential threats, like me, for the United States. If, if a lot of these Web3 infrastructures start getting regulated or, or labeled as securities by the SEC, there is no protection in line at a low, at a low infrastructure layer um, for Web3 to continue. And I, I want to see the things that are, are in place to protect us from that be ubiquitous and uh, at the place we are now I mean I think taking a bet on the DVPN space is a little disappointing but it's a but it's a hedge against the possibility of heavy regulation and um, changes to the internet that increasingly block the spread of information so that's what DVPNs are really about and you can see how it gets really controversial really quick uh, it's something you know that's going to be cool, a cool landscape to explore. But 
right now it's super important to have that infrastructure in place. And, and what I'm talking about in particular is just um, enough users of the DVPN where if, if larger scale geo-blocking by corporations and governments happens as a consequence of the growth of Web3, there's another unblockable layer or layer that's much harder to block um, that people can interact with the internet in, with all of the internet um, regardless of their location so that's what I'm here for and it, it, you know if that sounds far-fetched I think the reason is because you m might have access to a piece of the internet that doesn't have access to one of the siloed versions uh, and so this thus there's a large disconnect at least that that's the way I see the world um, between the countries that have governments regulating heavily on something that was meant to be a global network and those that don't. So maybe the last question here uh, that people would be wondering and one that I'd want to answer is why Mysterium? And the answer is really simple, actually. It's just the most open and the most decentralized on each layer. So, uh, you know, all DVPNs sort of have their advantages and disadvantages, um, but Mysterium, you know, has a commitment to openness that has been yeah, since it's there since its beginning. So it's always been open source, you know, open licenses, um, hardware agnostic, operating system agnostic, could use any routers, and it's been at the expense of maybe growing faster, uh, like because it's easier to grow and and create something to techn technologically if it's centralized. They always chose the decentralized path. The token is decentralized. Um, it had years to distribute. And across the board, I think every piece of Mysterium is at a point where it's it's not under the control of um, anyone really. And even at this point, you couldn't remove it. But the danger is that if it never grows, uh, like the DVPN space as a whole never grows and the internet does crimp down upon geo borders, then there's going to be a problem. And the, what I'm specifically talking about, and take this for example, is in China, you can't access Mysterium's website. So if you had access to the DVPN, um, you could use it, and you can't use regular VPNs in China, you could use DVPNs, but you can't find out about it in the first place, or at least it's a lot harder. Uh, so that's why it's important for the space to grow at this stage. And my commitment to exper uh, Mysterium is largely related to just their commitment to openness. I do want to add uh, a little bit <laughs> about this. I, I have other podcasts and other uh, another YouTube channel, and I, this is the first piece of content I've made that I'm being paid for. Although I'm not being I'm being paid by Mysterium for the work I do, uh, so it does feel a bit weird to have an ulterior motive. There's no sh there's no shills here. There's no um, talk about the token. That's not what this is about. This is a, um, about growing the user and node runner community. And uh, it's like that's kind of how it has to be. Maybe moving forward, there'll be more transparency about what I do at Mysterium and what some of the other team members do. Just to give you an idea of, of how things work there, I just pretty much said I, I'm going to do a podcast. And everyone was like, all right. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of that's how things work. Uh, you know, go innovate and and do what you can where you can and, and the team is just there to guide you and help you. So I hope you all join me in this journey. I want to speak to you know everyone who's close to this. I want to have interactions with the community and ask me anything type things. 
uh, I think there's a lot of value to be provided here. And I, yeah, I hope you'll uh, join me along in the journey and um, take part in contributing where you can. Thank you.